0: Welcome to the Venice Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Venice Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. As you're getting comfortable back in your seat, if you want to go ahead and access the Word of God however you feel led... Maybe you want to pull out a physical Bible. I know those still exist. I see people with those in the room from time to time. Or whether you want to open up your phone Uh, in our Vintage app, there's also a a notes feature if you want to follow along that way. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to launch from today, just as we did last week. Because we're in part two of a series that we are calling Salt and Light. And as you move into Matthew chapter five, as, as early as that seems in Jesus' ministry, the reality is we, we don't really know all that's been happening in this moment. Do you, have you ever really let your mind wrap around that thought? We have these gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four different accounts of Jesus' life in ministry, but they are such a very small snapshot, just a tiny little not even a window, barely a peephole into Jesus' life and ministry. John in his gospel would say if we wrote down all the amazing, powerful, crazy, cool things that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to fill it. So when we move into chapter 5 of Matthew's account and reflection, Matthew, one of those original 12, one of those 12 that were handpicked by Jesus, And can I also remind you that Jesus has a lot more than 12 disciples. There's a moment when Jesus goes up on a mountain and prays all night, and he steps back among those disciples, and he says, you, 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 yes, even you, Judas, you, you, are going to be the 12 that I choose to really intensely invest in over the next few years, because there's going to come a moment when, when I'm gone. And you're gonna be leaders in this thing. And so I'm gonna pour myself out into you so that you're ready for that. But in Matthew chapter five, there we, we have no idea. When it says he gathers his disciples around him to go up on this mountain and preach this sermon, we, we don't really know how many, how many there were. Jesus is living in such a way that, that people are like, who is this guy? Who is this Jesus, whose dad was a carpenter. Who is this Jesus from Nazareth? There's nothing good ever come out of Randleman, I mean Nazareth. There's no way that this teacher that's just blowing our minds, doing these phenomenal things, these crazy miracles, how can this be? How can he be from this little bitty obscure place? And so Jesus gathers his disciples around and I don't know why I always picture Jesus sitting as a teacher, but I just kind of have this thing where he's kind of sitting there and they're all just like, y'all sit down. Sit down. And then he begins to teach this thing that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Where as a preacher, Jesus is breaking all the rules. He's talking about everything. Y'all would have got up We gotta go to, we got to go to lunch. Bo gonna get crowded, Jesus. You need to hurry. And he talks about murder and divorce and worry and wealth and this vast variety. So he he was an equal opportunity. He made everybody mad that day, probably. Because he said things like, Oh, you think adultery's bad? I say if you look at somebody who's not your spouse, lustfully you've committed adultery in your heart. Did y'all hear what he said? But before he ever gets into these really crazy, difficult things that would shape the worldview of many of us who follow him, he opens it with, let me tell you who's blessed. The poor in spirit. Let me tell you who's blessed. The meek. Let me tell you who's blessed. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let me tell you who's blessed. The peacemakers, not the pot stirrers. We preached a whole series on that a while back. You should listen to it. It'd be a good time. And then the next thing he says before he starts unpacking all of these different thoughts on all these varying subjects, in Matthew five thirteen, he says, you, my disciples, my followers, those are going to... Have some type of allegiance to me. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. It's set to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Also, you're the light of the world. And a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Otherwise, what point would it be that it's lit? Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In this same way, you, my followers, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they'll see your good deeds. And the result of them watching your life will cause them to glorify your Father in heaven. I find it interesting that that's where Jesus leads this message off. Before I start talking about all these different principles that are going to wreck your worldview in so many ways, I want to make sure that you first understand the attitude with which you should follow me. Isn't that interesting? That your attitude, your disposition with how you walk through this life and live out everything that I'm about to say to you, that's where I'm gonna start. Because all these other things that you're gonna bend toward because I have the authority to tell you what's needed in life. First, you need to remember The arrogant people aren't the blessed people. Overly ambitious people aren't necessarily the blessed people. The rude and the pushy are not who are blessed in my kingdom. It's the pure of heart, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the result is when you live in this world, you'll live as salt and light that you, my followers, you'll make this world a better and brighter place. And that's what the church is supposed to do. And when I say the church, I'm talking about the body of Christ. Those who claim an allegiance with Jesus, those who see him as Savior and Lord, that our presence in this world should make it better and brighter. And the reason why we're doing this series is because I feel like too often that doesn't seem to be the case. Amen, somebody. Too often we do and we act in a way that does more to add to the darkness than contribute to the light. That, as I said last week, we, we have taken right as permission to be unkind, We have taken right, and because we believe we're right, we have demanded that we are heard. We have taken to social media and other places, and even though we're saying the right thing, we're doing it in a way that's causing people to reject the truth instead of receive it. And our goal is never just for people to know the truth, right? It's that they surrender to it. And we have this responsibility to leverage this thing that God has given us that's more precious than we realize far too often. Influence. You have it. Influence. You know you have it, right? That you are constantly influencing those around you that you have this circle of people, and even though in your mind it may seem small, it is not insignificant. Even though you don't know half those people on Facebook, they're reading your stuff. You ever flip through your Facebook page and think, who are these people? And you're having influence, and everything that you say and everything that you do, and with every encounter that people have with you, it's moving the needle of their spiritual curiosity. Either it's pushing them towards being less interested in the faith that you claim or making them more interested in it. We have this influence and it's time we started paying more attention to that and realizing I am in this world to leverage my influence to advance his kingdom. That's why, that's why you're here. Before we started this series, we did, a, we did a whole Sunday where we just talked about the glory of God. You were created for his glory, by his glory, through his glory, to bring him glory. And you bring him glory when you leverage your influence, not to advance your agenda, not to, look at me, not to advance your opinions, but to advance his kingdom. And God has chosen that that we would be the ones, we would be the vehicle to take the message of Jesus into the world. Y'all with me? That's why why he created the church. The church, the body of Christ, is the God-ordained vehicle to take the message and hope of salvation in Christ alone into the world we live in. So that means like when you when you leave here is when you really get the opportunity to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. We don't exist to inspire people to look and think like us. We don't inspire people to do anything but live and love like Jesus. That's our lives and to do that we have to understand that lost people matter to God. Come on. That means, guess what? This is a profound thing. What matters to God should matter to you. Even if it doesn't come natural. I've never been a big fan of Disney princesses, but there was a season my daughter was into it. And you know what? Because I love her, I love what she loves. Lost people matter to God, and it just seems like, and that means, lo, lo, people who don't know Jesus, I'm gonna say this, maybe, maybe I need to start saying this word. this is crazy, people who don't know Jesus act like people who don't know Jesus. People who don't believe in the authority of scripture act like people who don't believe in the authority of scripture. And it seems like those people now, instead of us wanting to get Jesus to them, we just want to get them away from us. It's almost as if we are, it seems like, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe this isn't true. It seems like at times we're behaving in a way that's just intentionally trying to push people who don't think like us as far out of our lives as we can. It's like, are you posting that just so they will unfriend you? And perhaps the very people that we want to weed out is the very people that Jesus would seek out. Have you ever noticed that? Because that's what happened in Jesus' day. The very people that the religious people in Jesus' day chose to weed out are the ones Jesus constantly would seek out. Go to Luke chapter 19, let me just give you an example. Luke chapter 19, starting with verse one. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and a wee little man was he. All the church people started laughing in the room. Verse three. Now I can't stop singing that song in my head and I'm trying to read the Bible and it's messing me up. (laughs) Seriously. He He wanted to see who Jesus was because he was short and he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. I can't stop singing it. Where was I? Okay, so he ran, he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, you come down. See, I can't stop. And some of the people in the room are like, what's wrong with him? It's a song we used to sing as kids. Anyway, oh, where am I When he reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Because we should hang out. So he came down and at once welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to meet against a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And this is one of those moments, I, I, man, God, why don't you give us a little bit more to the story? Because I know how this played out given everything I know about the time and the culture and even scripture, that this was, this was a lot more tentious and involved. Because see, as much as people were coming to Jesus curious and finding him as Lord, the religious were also always there as well, trying to trap him, trying to con- catch him in saying the wrong thing. And, and they were paying more attention maybe than even anybody else. And Jesus would be going through and, and he would come across, again, somebody that they had tried to weed out The tax collectors were these evil people because they kind of were trying to spread their allegiance between the nation of Israel and Rome and then they were wealthy and so they were despised. And, And so he sees Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, let's go hang out for a little while. And all of the religious people are like, are you serious right now? He's gonna hang out with him? Jesus would hang out with the very people you feel weird about being seen with at the coffee shop. And at some point, Jesus has this conversation with him. And, and, and I want to know kind of what happens between verse 7 and verse 8. Where it says, all of a sudden, Zacchaeus stood up. And wh- when did he stand up? where they were reclining at a meal at Zacchaeus' house and Jesus had spent the entire day there and having conversations and Jesus was looking him in the eye like a person <laughs> and having a conversation with him, building an opportunity to speak into his life. And at some point, so much of conviction and change pours over Zacchaeus' heart that he says, Got everything I've done that I regret, I'll do my best to make it right. I know that the way that I have been living doesn't align with what you desire for me. And he doesn't call him Jesus. He doesn't call him rabbi. He, doesn't, he says, Lord. Just giving that title says that, that the way Zacchaeus sees Jesus is so different than the religious people see him. And then Jesus says that profound thing. See, the son of man, what, he came to seek and save because the salvation would follow the seeking. And maybe Jesus is trying to say, the way that you use your influence to build my kingdom is not to stay, but to go. Not to surround yourself with only people who think and look and act like you, Maybe if you're going to leverage your influence to build my kingdom, you're going to have to seek out the people that maybe everything in you wants to weed out. Or maybe everything in your culture says you should weed out. Or maybe everyone in your political party says you should avoid. He says the son of man came to seek and to save. And I think that's our, is that not our example If we say live and love like Jesus, are there parts of the way Jesus lived and loved that we get to avoid? No, I I like that prayer part of Jesus. I don't like that going into uncomfortable spaces part of Jesus. You don't get to choose. We don't. I don't, you don't, we don't. And in the New Testament, the church begins to grow because there were men and women committed to this idea. Moving to 2 Corinthians chapter five. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. This church is full of problems and issues. But he says in the first part of verse 11, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Because we know what it's like to know God. To fear him. And understand that fear is not like I'm scared of God, but to understand the majesty and beauty and wonder and respect for his authority in our lives. That our knowing that, our response to that is to go into our little huddle and wait it out till he returns. To weed out all the people that might be a threat to us. You know, if we constantly see people who don't think like us or believe like us as the enemy or the adversary, we will never have compassion enough to go reach them. He says, because because something's happened to us, we want to persuade others. We want to tell other people. Drop down to verse 14. And why? Because Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. This motivation to go out and tell other people about the Lord that has changed our lives, we are compelled by love. We don't do this out of some obligation. We don't do this because Matt guilts us into it every week. No, we do this, we're compelled by love. And you know what? When love is the motivation, rude can never be the method. When love is the motivation, rude can never be the method. He said, we're compelled by love. That what God has done in us, what we have seen and what we have now, because of the relationship that we have with Jesus, it compels us to go and tell other people about him. Keep reading. 2 Corinthians 15, excuse me, chapter five, verse 15. says, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Just let that verse sink in for a minute. Like it's changed the way that we see the world. It's changed the way that we see everybody. That there's this new lens through which we're looking that is causing us to see ourselves and everybody around us in a different way. Therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone, the new is here And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sins against them. How often do we count people's sins against them? How often do we use other people's sins as a reason not to be around them but ignore our very own All this is from God who is reconciling us to himself through Christ who gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Do you see all this? this is exactly what we're talking about in this series, that we have this influence that we're supposed to leverage in order to advance his kingdom. He's saying God has chosen us as his ambassadors, his representatives in this world in which we live. And he is making this appeal, come to me, follow me, accept me. And we are the voice through which he's making this appeal to the world. And so he says, we implore you. On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That you have an influence that you are supposed to leverage to advance his kingdom. And we cannot advance his kingdom by avoiding people who are lost. If we avoid, we don't advance. How do we do that? I think i set that tone enough, right? We get it? So how do do we do that? When I look at Jesus' model, so often I see him do something that often we fail to do. Look at what Zacchaeus. Even in Zacchaeus' example, I think you see this pattern. Earn trust, then speak truth. Earn trust, then speak truth. Earn trust, then speak truth. That yet yeah, he was curious about Jesus. Do you know, can you imagine the amount of trust and credibility that Jesus earned with Zacchaeus when Jesus said, I'm gonna come hang out with you at your house. You know what, Jesus, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna step into your world and not expect you to come into mine. I'm gonna go where you are. And then at some point, obviously, Jesus started speaking truth into him. And how often do we just skip over that earned trust and we just start speaking truth and then we wonder why people won't listen? The influence you earn opens the door for the truth you know. The influence you earn opens the door for the truth that you know. Do not hear what I'm not saying. My, my biggest fear is you're gonna hear things I'm not saying. We never back away from truth, right? I said, like, we don't, I'm not, nobody's compromising truth, but when and where and how you say it matters, and I deeply believe it matters to God. Watch how often Jesus, at the woman at the well, yeah, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know the man you're going back to is not your husband in the last five. I know all that. And I'm engaging you anyway. And I'm not. I'm not gonna walk away. I can give you example after example. And it may seem small and it may seem fast, but just the way that Jesus always approached people. And have you ever noticed that somehow Jesus drew the sinners and offended the religious? And I think maybe we're trying to draw the religious and offend the sinner. Earn trust, then speak truth. Earn what if we what if we started living in that pattern to understand is you know what, I'm trying to speak a truth to you that I have not and and trust that I haven't earned from you yet. It's amazing the kind of conversations that you can have. The kind of openness you can have. The kind of transparency and vulnerability you can get from people when you've earned their trust. But if we try to speak truth before we earn trust, very rarely is it going to work out well. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? Say amen. Earn trust and then speak truth. And you don't earn trust by getting caught up into foolish arguments. That's what Paul was trying to say to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 through 26, do not have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Somebody needs to write that on their mirror and read it every day. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Then listen, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed, Whoa! In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. What a powerful verse, man. It says, if you're gonna earn trust so that you can speak truth, you can't let yourself get sucked into these things that are just gonna dilute your influence. Those people, those, the, oppo- the opposing voices, there's a certain way you go about leading them into the truth that you know, but you do it gently and respectfully because in the end, the goal is to get them not to just know the truth, but to surrender to it. Earn trust, speak truth so you can leverage your influence to advance his kingdom. One more verse and we're almost done. First Peter chapter three. He says, who's going to harm you? Because understand that this is a time when leveraging your influence for, for Jesus was risky. This was a time when there was actual persecution for the church, like you could lose your life he said, who's going to harm you for, if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Go back into that latter part of verse 15, y'all. Let's put it back on the screen for just a second where it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That one right there. Always be prepared to tell people how dumb and evil they are. Always be prepared to answer every single question about theology that anybody could ever ask. Do you notice what Peter said? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, why are you so hopeful? Isn't that interesting? Interesting. when I read that verse, do you understand what has to happen for all of that to unfold? It says, if you follow Jesus the way that you're supposed to, you're going to live in a way that makes people wonder. And I don't mean wonder how you can say you go to church and talk like that. I mean, wonder how you can be going through the same difficult thing I am, but somehow you got peace. You're walking through the same pandemic, the rest of us, but somehow you got joy. Always be prepared. So that means that, that followers of Jesus should live in such a way with such hope that make people wonder. See, sometimes you know, we're so busy trying to figure out how we're gonna answer the theological question that we're forgetting to live in a way that makes people wonder why we have hope. I wanna live in a way that makes people wonder and not wonder how I can do one thing on Sunday and a different thing on Monday. I don't want people to wonder how I can post a scripture verse in one social media post and the next one be so rude. I want people to wonder, and for that to happen, that means those people have to be near enough to see it, and it has to be genuine enough for it to be noticed, near and noticeable, that you know what? We're not trying to create space between us and them. We're not trying to weed out those who people don't like us or look like us or believe like us but we're living so near to them that they're able to observe this hope actively played out in our lives hope's hard to see from far away it's up close in those situations where your life begins to fall apart but they see that you're holding on to something that they don't have and they want it. and it's so consistent that it's noticeable like dude every time our boss is rude to you. Somehow, you manage to keep it together. How is that? The Holy Spirit. See, I think sometimes we're, we're so busy trying to formulate a way to get people to bend towards our worldview that we forget we never introduced them to our Savior. That we're expecting them to follow our worldview before they've ever met the Savior who's forming it in us. And that's backwards. Leverage your influence to advance his kingdom. And the way that you do that, as Peter says, live in a way that makes people wonder why you have such a constant hope. So, you take a second, bow your heads, close your eyes for just a minute. Can I get you to wrestle with some questions for me? Who are you trying to weed out that God's saying, seek out? Who are you trying to weed out that God's saying, seek out? It's time to take ownership that it's your voice He wants to use. And the second thing I want you to wrestle with is Am I living in such a way that I have a noticeable hope that makes people wonder? God, I pray that right now in this room and online that we wrestle with some questions. That God, that there are people in our lives that need to be in our circle of influence and we just keep pushing them out of it. We're trying to weed out the very people that you said that we need to seek out because you came to seek and to save the lost. And for the lost to be saved, they have to be sought. And so God, help us to seek. God, help us to stay so close to you and so connected to you that we live with this this constant hope that pours out of our lives that makes people wonder and begin to ask, that it opens up a conversation. We can say, I have hope because I know that my life is bigger than just what I see. I have hope because my sins have been paid for. I have hope because as broken as I am, the loving one true God died for me. I have hope because I know that the Holy Spirit is constantly working on my behalf. I have hope because of the God that is always present in my life. God, help us to walk out of here today living in a way that makes people wonder. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said together, amen, amen. Would you give God some praise this morning? Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Vintage Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at vintagechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Vintage Church app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.